0: Welcome to Beneath the Wing. Just like air passing over the wing of an aircraft provides lift, the people we meet can also give us lift in life by sharing their stories of strength and success, connecting us all. Beneath the Wing explores the stories of those connected with the Minnesota Air National Guard's 133rd Airlift Wing with a little humor and learning along the way. I'm your host, Wing Command Chief Mark Legfold. Joining me today on Beneath the Wing is Beltha Njanga or Bell. Bell's a senior airman in our flying medical unit known as the Aeromedical Evacuation Squadron. She's a graduate of St. Cloud State University here in Minnesota and is currently pursuing her master's degree. She also works with our veterans as a part of the VA health system in her civilian occupation. So welcome, Bell.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: I am you. excited to sit down with you and a little bit nervous because I know that you have <laughs> your own podcast too, so I'll...
1: I I'll, judge you kindly.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that very much. So um, this is going to be airing right before our drill weekend in October, but we're recording in September during drill weekend.
1: Awesome.
0: Yeah, and we just finished Wingman Day, where as a wing, we all took a step back and talked about some of the hard issues that we face as human beings, like suicide, sexual assault, resilience, and mental health. And you've got some good experience in mental health, right?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um, knowing that you're working in your master's in counseling and psychological services, did yes, I get that sir. right?
1: Yes, sir.
0: What do you think makes a person strong or resilient?
1: I. Um Recently just got a $20 card for writing a paper about this, so good timing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Should have had you bring the paper. You could have just read it, but that's no fun. We're No, we're talking no, today. you can
1: find it after that. I'm popular, they say. That's a joke. But um, I think resiliency is having your, um, I call it having a base or having a hook. So I just this morning gave this um, analogy. So think about this little springy dolls we used to have in the car. And the car's driving you have the like your the head hula spinning. girl that
0: dances on that the dashboard. One, yeah. Yes.
1: You see you can you know, little kids love to hold that and yank on it or pull it and let it go to see how see it moves every which way but then it stands still at the end of the day. So because it has something pulling it back to that location. So to me being a strong person emotionally, physically, you just have to have those things that draw you back. You Know for some people is having faith, a good faith foundation, some is family, some is just you know, here could be your space where you come and you feel that resiliency. And but just making sure that you feed those, that you 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 screw those nuts in really hard. So on the days when the wind blows you one way, you know that you're gonna bounce right back.
0: What helps you bounce back?
1: Uh, faith is a big thing. I am a Christian and I. I would not work out the door if I haven't asked God if it's okay. I can't hear his answer, but I know it's good mm-hmm. <laughs> when I can make it out. And family is a big thing for me. And um, for me, that is that means the good and the bad. You know, you have the family members who keep you honest, and you probably don't want to spring yourself to that because, you know, sometimes they don't do it the best way. But then you have the family that welcomes you, you know, where you know I can always come here if I'm feeling unsafe, if I'm feeling... And that could be, you know, your mom, your dad, friends. For me, you know, those people, my siblings, there's five of us. And we really tap into each other, even though we are divided by, you know, I'm in the United States and they're in Central Africa. <laughs> but we keep in touch. And just before I walked in here, I was video chatting with one of my brothers and just telling him what I'm up to. And he just, you know, got out of the country and went somewhere else, too. And so he's telling me, "Hello, oh, look where I'm at and this is and we do that a lot. And that's. You know, number two to me. And then a third thing is just having, I talk about this having purpose, just knowing where it is that you're going. Because it's easy to get lost if you're just going. Mm-hmm. And I've done that. I've gone, you know, and just because just you woke up this day and so now what? Well, I'm just going to go and find out what happens. It's good. It could work out or it couldn't. You know, I feel like it's one of those walks that brought me to the United States Air Force. But then as soon as I got here, I created a purpose. And that's why... I can stay going strong.
0: So, Belle, talk to us about um, your journey, your walk, um, to become a part of the Air Force, especially the 133rd Airlift Wing, which is where we're sitting today. How did you get from your family um, to here?
1: I uh, won this magical thing called the Diversity Visa Lottery. So I won the DV Lottery back in 2010. I came to the United States in 2011. But um, as a young college student back in Cameroon, I played this lottery, which comprised basically taking a picture. And that's what got me. They were like, come take a picture. And I was like, I could do that. Selfies all day. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I took a picture. And then I did, um, they asked some questions about my background and they filled that in. And I played this lottery on the last day of the lottery being played and so I knew I probably stood no chance and really the U.S. was never in my, you know, list of places where I could go because I knew as a Cameroonian, Cameroon was uh, a colony of France and Britain, you know, those were the last colonial masters Mm -hmm. but before that we had Germany and then we had the Portuguese and we had, you know, the story continues. But with French and England, usually growing up as a young Cameroonian, for further studies, you're thinking, I'm going to go here or there, mm-hmm. depending on if you're go- growing up in British Cameroon or in French Cameroon. That's the because our educational system is still pretty limited. So you're going to college, and you're studying. I wanted to do international affairs. And so I knew after I got a degree in communications and law, I'm going to head to England, and I'm going to do that You know, if the resources present themselves. Mm-hmm. And then when I won the DV lottery, of course, my dad thought it was a joke. And <laughs> I'm trying to be, oh, someone's trying to defraud me or something. But about a year later, I was here because I found out really late that I won because, you know, the whole politics played into it. But I came to the United States and I was in um, Maryland for a year and a half with family. But then my family moved to a very distant part of Maryland and I couldn't make it to school then I have an aunt here.
0: And you were still in high school then No, I was in college. You were in college, okay. I
1: went to college at 17. So, right. yeah, by the time I was coming here at 19, I was already thinking about my graduation the next year. Mm-hmm. So when I came here, one of the things I talk about in that resiliency paper is that I did not expect for my college to not count. So when I came to the United States, I had to take a placement test. And then I, even when I got everything correct, they are like, oh, so now you're in English 102 what? (laughs) (laughs) thought I just proved to you that I've taken enough English classes. But so that's the process that I was going through. And so I did a whole lot of, you know, I took some more college courses. And then in the winter of 2012, that's when I moved to Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And my aunt was pregnant with Ethan at the time. And Ethan is my little nephew, of course. So I moved here and stayed with her. And then at some point decided, if I'm going to graduate and get my degree, I might need to go to another college, you know. So I moved to St. Cloud and went to St. Cloud State. And while at St. Cloud State, Faith, I uh, one time had, I went for a a Christian retreat. A friend of mine invited me to a Christian retreat, which she couldn't make Mm -hmm. because her mother-in-law showed up suddenly. And so I went for all of us. (laughs) So while at this retreat, I knew no one. And there I met, you know, my Minnesota mom, Kat. And her husband did come and meet me there, too, at some point. And she just decided, you're going to be my daughter. And I thought, you know, this is Minnesota. We all say that every day to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it will pass in some moment. <laughs> but I went back to school, and we exchanged emails. It was a part of the process. So it's a, it was a koinonia retreat. I don't know if you've heard about that.
0: A little bit, a okay. little
1: bit, yeah. It is, uh, uh, so you go and you spend time with people that you've never met before, and you just turn off your phone, which was very interesting. Was that hard for you? My entire family lives on my phone. Yes. <laughs> it was hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the first couple of minutes, it really was. But after that, I can do that now. I really can. When I know that, you know, uh, Minnesota National Guard is not going to be calling me for something, mm-hmm. I can unplug and just... You know, and my family knows that sometimes, you know, I do that. And I'll let them know, coming up on another sabbatical again. Or sometimes I'll just yeah. say, I have drill. And drill could mean one or the other. But yeah, so that taught me that it's okay to unplug and go to a space like that and yeah. form new connections. And But my Minnesota dad happens to be a Vietnam vet. So, um, During my graduation, they came for my graduation because we became a family like that, really, which is very interesting. A lot of people don't get that. Mm -hmm. So I was very blessed. And they came to, um, before coming for graduation, I had a school project I did, which was you were supposed to pick something about the culture of the United States and speak to and do a, it's called a rhetorical presentation on it. And so I was supposed to speak to it, like I was speaking to people, but kind of giving answers. Sounded like questions, and so I looked around and I was like, Well, since I came to the United States, and I've had this question about becoming a citizen, not becoming a citizen, because growing up, I wanted to work for the United uh, uh, Nations. Yes, and doing that, being a, an American citizen, could actually limit your chances. Did you know that? Now you do,
0: <laughs> <laughs> now I know,
1: but yeah, so, um, so then I kept questioning that as I went through school. I was like, Do I when I do my five years, do I become a citizen, do I not? And so when I I went to um, talk to my Minnesota dad, Mark, about this, and I was, um, really, I was asking him, what has your story been? I Never knew he had been in the service. I have mm-hmm. no one in my family who has been in the service. And so he was telling me about his service journey, and I just remember him talking about uh, post-Vietnam coming back, you know, and when they were considered baby killers and, you know, everything that they went through. It was hard
0: for our Vietnam vets. Yes. Did he feel that same pain?
1: He painted that picture so well. I have a recording of it, Uh and I still listen to it and my heart breaks. And I listened to that, and then for some reason, the way he told it, I heard honor. So growing up, my dad was an educator. I learned that you were too, and I thought this was exciting. And growing up, I woke up at... 4 a.m. every day in Cameroon and my dad would wake us all up and he made it his business to get us ready for school and that included breakfast and then making sure we got to school in time. Mm -hmm. My mom, you know, would wake up later in the day and make sure we had lunch and supper and but that was my dad's thing. He woke us up and so I grew up with the structure and then by the time I was 11 years old, I went off to boarding school. Again, that same structure. Mm -hmm. When I came to the United States, I struggled with the fact that the culture was so different. And a lot of people my age, even though they were so mature, you know, in that they were getting jobs and they were, you know, at 19, you already had a job and you already were making money. I then the the, I grew up with a certain standard of respect that I just didn't feel that I saw. And so for me, that meant growth was very challenging. That meant, you know, you're not going through the same phases that you, like my rites of passage that I would have had in Cameroon, I don't get to have that here. And not that that would hurt so bad, but it's just I wasn't used to that. Mm -hmm. And so when I was talking to Mark about this and the way he presented his time in the service and he presented how it's like it could be an equalizer. If you're in the right unit, it's an equalizer. You go in there. You could be black, white, tall, short, you know, whatever you are, female, male. And at the end of the day, through a certain rank, you would get a salute or you wouldn't because Mm -hmm. of your rank and because of, and I thought, that's interesting. But then I went, on my graduation day, he came and they were, there was a moment when they said, you know, they were honoring vets. And this is the first graduation I'm ever having without my dad, my actual dad present. But Mark was there. And then he stood up and got saluted. My dad had sent him this Uh, African clothing to wear so he really was representing
0: (laughs) how wonderful
1: yeah and they looked really nice and he stood up and then you know they popped the salute at some point and I just was in love I just I mean I'm graduating from St. Cloud State and I graduate with you know magna cum laude and some thinking this is my journalism career starting and I'm gonna write and I'm gonna oh my god the things I would do and then all of a sudden my heart just turns and I just I walked out of there and I was like how can I become like that? And he was like, how can you join the service? I was like, yes, like today. How do we do that? And this was in December, December 16th of 2016 was my graduation day. Mm-hmm. And then February, we came here. Uh, uh, Mark's son actually is here. He's out with, uh, he's a loadmaster.
0: So your adopted brother.
1: Yes. OK. He's the load master out here on base. And um, so my dad brought me here. And we went downstairs and talked to a recruiter. Um, I didn't know what the difference was. I had never known what's guard, what's active duty, what is, you know. So I asked him, can I do this every day? And then I remember the recruiter was like, yeah, you could be active guard, and you could do this every day. And I was like, this is awesome.
0: So was it the structure?
1: or it was. The, or,
0: the, or, the, or the family tie that brought you in our door?
1: It was the, the, I was hungry for that structure. Yes. But the family tie brought me to this door. I was definitely hungry for I wanted to get back into You know, a certain, I just was raised that way. And so I I needed some, at least some of that back. And when I walked through here and we came through the doors and I just looked around and it felt right. And I signed every single paper I was given. I read that two years later. (laughs) That day I signed every paper. And, you know, March I came out. I went and did uh, maps and everything. And then I was off to BMT in May. Yeah,
0: A very quick
1: transformation That's, for you that it was it was needed and so it felt right I yes. felt I mean everybody asked me how was BMT for you and I was like it was fun I was back with my friends and I was back in a dorm I went to boarding school for six years and for
0: somebody that craved structure yes. I'm sure basic training for the for going into the military was something that was you really enjoyed
1: I was you nostalgic yes every yeah. week I had this nostalgic moment where I just stood there and Was to scrub the floors with two brushes, and I was like, "Oh, this is just—I miss this."
0: (laughs) Nobody scrubs the floors with toothbrushes and says, I missed this. But
1: (laughs) But it's, you know, it was an equalizer because then that meant that we had done something stupid and, you know, someone was not being held accountable for something. But this was not us pointing a finger at you and saying, this was us saying, now your actions is holding, you know, the entire unit back. Yes. And so now we're going to sit here and we'll scrub until you're okay with getting over that attitude and, you know, and then we can go on to do the mission. And, just seeing young, I mean, when we got there, there were some kids who were 18, I think 18 was the youngest, and yeah. just seeing the transformation that they went through, because it's a ty- typical American teenager, and then they're in there, and then it's not just like, if you go there and you're just singling them out, and, you know, like, going after them, I don't think that's going to do anything, but the wingman concept, Yes. and it was a complete, I mean, we were having such enriching conversations, and Yes.
0: So were you the mom at basic training? Because some people turn into the mom or the dad.
1: You know, I was like the counselor, which was weird. Because oh I remember, I mean, people wake up at night and wake me up because they're having a hot day and ask me to pray for them. Or it was weird because I, I mean, I never like would. It's not like I held prayer videos or was praying. And sure. uh, so it was strange when someone would just tap me and go, would you pray with me for a second? Or would you talk to me for a minute? I have this thing I'm going through and. Why do you all oh, trust me? You know, I would ask them. And it's just, they just, you know, for some reason it seemed, that's where I came with psychology. When I came out sure. of there, I felt if I get a, a master's degree in psychology, I might better do this. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, kids were falling apart. I mean, it, it's not easy. I say it and it sounds like BMT's is a walk in the park. But, yeah, it wasn't. And I did feel the physical presence of it too, you know. But it's just, to me... We were here and we were comrades and we were, I mean, when I, for the first two weeks, the MTI did not attempt to say my name. And so whenever he said trainee and I could stand there and pretend that he wasn't talking to me. Don't do that. But <laughs> <laughs> then he learns my name, and then the first time he said my name, we laughed. You yes. know, because he laughed first. I couldn't do that if he did. Of
0: course, you couldn't. Yes,
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just you know, and he was like, "Ah, so you would know that I'm talking to you," and I was like, "Yes, sir." But mm-hmm. if you can get away with one less, you know, duration for something, I mean, use it. But <laughs> it was it it worked out well. I was I was not the mom. They tried to make me the. Um, uh, What was it? I was a day room monitor, but they tried to make me the dorm chief. Sure. It lasted one day because apparently I was too, I mean, I kept just telling everyone, it's okay to talk, just keep your voices down. And they wanted me to say, shut up or zip Uh, it up or, and I just, you know, at the time didn't have the fabric. By the time I got out of there, I did say that one time and then the, the MTI called in from the little office where they didn't listen to us and he was like, there you go, Janga. I thought you didn't have that in you. I was like, <laughs> I do. Just yeah. So
0: you found out a way to teach people that were higher in rank or position to you
1: and yes. motivate
0: people who were um, same rank and same position as you and all this um, through the basic training process and then after that you went through a tech school but... Your adopted dad, Mark. Yes. If that's okay, if I call him that.
1: Yes, that's right. okay. Yes.
0: Your adopted dad, Mark, got you interested in serving mm-hmm. this country. Yes. Which is not your home country. Um, was that a hard transformation or a difficult decision to say, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and serve a country that is not my my home country, by choice"? Um, tell me your thought process on that
1: so at this point the uni- like i told you i was having that that uh mental play do i become an american citizen do i not and one day it occurred to me because when i moved here i was 19 mm-hmm. one day it occurred to me that most of my life that i have lived by myself has been lived here in a sense america is my home country then, because when I was in Cameroon, I was my father's daughter, and I, you know, did well to please him. But when I came to the United States, and I was no longer, very quickly I realized that I was on my own, you know, because you come here, and when you come here from an African home, and you, if you come here with your parents, it's very different. If you come here and you have aunts and uncles, there's only so much that they can do, and then if you push back, and then, you know, they get really powerless, and, I realized really quickly that it was not, none of them treated kids like my dad did. And none of them, you know, they had my best interest at heart, but they didn't know me. And they, you know, my uncle wasn't, didn't show them that he was interested in getting to know who I was or wanted to be. He just knew what I should be, Mm -hmm. what I should go to school and do, what, you know, be real conservative, go do law or journalism. You're smart. You know, you go do one thing, you get out, you get a degree, and you get married, and you, you know, that's the progression that's supposed to happen. Yes. But I'm coming here, and I grew up reading books, and I, my brain is already on fire. I already have all these crazy ideas of things I'm going to do, and how I would change the world. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> but I have to start rechanging myself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that whole journey is happening here.
0: So... Do you feel like, had you stayed in Cameroon as your father's daughter? And and that's a statement you just yes. said that resonates with me because it it kind of communicates that you would always be your father's daughter there. You wouldn't be Bell Anjanga, a St. Cloud State Husky, or a, uh, an airman in the United States Air Force. You would still be your father's daughter.
1: I, I would. I would. My father's daughter, my... I, I think I should give him a little bit of description. My father raised his daughters. So my younger sister, for instance, is a human rights activist in her right. She's a nurse, but she her practice is she takes care of uh, homeless. who Cameroon has been having crisis. And so we have um, a lot of displaced, internally displaced personnel. And so my younger sister works with that. And it's an organization that she started on her own. And she so my father empowers his daughters, but... It is in, it's very safe. And so if I stayed in Cameroon, yes, I would never join the uh, military in Cameroon just because it had a different rapport. And my dad would probably not allow it. And, you know, I was his, I'm his smallest daughter, still am. And I was born premature. And in his mind, I mean, he knows I'm smart, but he doesn't think of me as strong or fast or, so this was a shock to him. This was uh yeah, he had to call me several times and go, wait, what? What happened now? And, you know, when I went MIA for a couple of weeks because I was at BMT and you can't really call Yes. and check in, that really sunk in. And so Mark and Kat, fortunately, were filling the gap. And Mark was like, no, she's fine. You know, if something happened to her, we'll know. And we'll let you know. And my dad is like, okay, uh, yeah, I hear you. I will come to America. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs>
2: Hey, listeners, this is your 133rd Air Wing's Drug Demand Reduction Program Manager, also known as your friendly drug and alcohol lady, Kirsten Johnson. From October 23rd to October 31st, it's Red Ribbon Week. During this week, we celebrate being drug-free throughout the nation. When my team and I drug test the wing every month, it's not because we want to catch you or get you in trouble. We want to help you and the entire wing operate at its best potential. Our program is here to help keep airmen stay on track and ensure the airmen next to you are good to go, too. In the military and especially the Air Force, there's no room for drugs to get in the way of the mission. Testing isn't all we do. If you or your wingman start slipping into a drug or alcohol problem, we can help connect you with resources. Asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a brave and smart thing to do before you get caught. It's definitely hard, so let's work together as a wing and look out for each other. If you want to reach out, swing by the wellness area and talk to the helpers who are here for you. Until then, be happy, be brave, be drug free.
0: And you've been talking with us about your journey and your journey yes. to America, your journey to the Air Force, um, your citizen status, though we haven't touched on that. Okay. Did you decide to become an American citizen?
1: I did. I you, finally did right before I joined the service. And so I got the paperwork started and then I when you get that started then they'll send you a letter that says you can come swear in now. So that letter came right when I was at basic training. So guess who got her citizenship at basic training? Oh,
0: congratulations. <laughs> did they do an oath um, They did. There? So we
1: had to come out and do an oath. And uh, we had just come from Beast Week. And I remember because I had hurt my leg and I had a crutch. And it was fun to try to march out there and be at, you know, at detention with crutches because doctor's orders, I really didn't need them, but I had to have them <laughs> for the ceremony. And so, yes, and then to do the oath and then to march. Out. It was great. Was that it was emotional? Great. It was very emotional because, you know, I felt like that at that moment I missed my dad. I needed him to be there to hand me over. It's like, you know, this is uh, how to do like marriages in Cameroon, you know. It's like you're being handed. I felt like I needed him to be there to say a few words, which mm-hmm. he would have loved. But I knew that he was supporting me through that, so that was good.
0: What a wonderful, uh, wonderful opportunity in, at basic training to both become an airman. And right. become a U.S. citizen.
1: Right. I think that finally came together. If it wasn't for the Air Force, I probably wouldn't have become a U.S. citizen mm-hmm. because you know the reasons we discussed before. So yes, came one together.
0: Of, one of the things that you said about your dad, yes, your dad in Cameroon, mm-hmm. not your adopted one, is that he he raised empowered daughters. Yes, and you talked a little bit about your sister. What empowers you now? What makes you feel powerful?
1: Now, I, so the Air Force has to be one of the things on the list. Of course, it's always, you know, God first who has opened so many doors for me. The Air Force comes in really far because after moving so far from my home, you know, my, this bubble where you're born, I feel like, you know, being here and being so far from everything that is comfortable, got me to the place where I felt so unempowered for so long. There was a time when, you know, you just, you get lost. You disappear in the system. Mm-hmm. You're not sure who's listening, who's not listening, especially if you don't have supportive leaders and friends and family around you. You really just fall down, and you just, you just the entire time I say you whisper, you can't speak loud because you don't want people to know what you're really saying for fear that they might, you know, retaliate or just say no. Yes. And so joining the Air Force then, I got to be reintroduced, you know, to a whole society. I got to be reintroduced into a whole new society where, you know, I am my person. Yes, now they, I have a whole leadership, and fortunately, I came right here. Yeah. You know, in the 109th, I got all the support that I needed. I got. I mean, a lot of people did a lot of things for me that they don't realize that he did. Just emotionally, but not you realize them. I did.
0: And you've talked a little bit about how this organization, the big one, is yes. an equalizer in yes. because of the structure,
1: Yes, right?
0: Um, as you, Belle, continue hopefully with us for a full career, um, what's one thing that you are going to use as you become more in a leadership position out here to have other people feel those same things as a leader? How do you empower other people? How do you make them feel like they are part of an equal organization?
1: Listen, I will, I feel like I'm a pretty good listener, but I have to get better. You can always get better.
0: You're getting a master's in counseling, right? Seriously. You you better be a good listener,
1: (laughs) right? But yes, I I think that I am going to want to listen. Yeah. You cannot help someone whose story you do not know. You can't help someone whose affiliations you don't know. Thank you for saying that. Yes. It's
0: the stories out here are fantastic.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. You can't help someone whose direction you do not know. So, I want to know your story. I want to know your affiliations. I want to know your directions. I cannot help you with my blueprint because we are so different. I mean, you and I sitting across this table, our stories, you know, as wonderful as they both are, completely different stories, but yes. we're here. Yes. And so, I want to take off the uniforms. When I meet someone and I'm talking to them, take off the uniforms, not physically take them off, but tell me who you are. Mm -hmm. You know, once you know a person, once you're able to see a person, like I was just saying, Major Fives, Chief Vanesh and these are people who who peeked through and saw me without even realizing that's what they were doing. If I can peek through and see a person, it's easy for me to hold your hand right where they are and be able to move with them. Yeah. And then to empower them, I would want to encourage people to step out encourage you once I have known who you are what your comfort is and what support I can give to you I want to make sure that I link you up with someone who is better present for you than I can be for instance you know you would be a great resource to a lot of people however you're booked till you know seven years from now maybe (laughs) you know but so the more you grow the more important it is for you to be able to look around and go. So is this person getting the supervision that they need? Because you need supervision when you come into a place like yeah. this.
0: Bill, one of the things that I've 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 seen over yes. the many years that I've been out here because yes. I'm old, and you're much younger than I. Um, but I've seen that the the relationships that we build. Yes. Um, really adds for the, it allows us to be strong. Yes. Out here, which is a fantastic thing, and. Yes. Um. Yeah, it, getting to know the the soul, and we talked about this before we yes. started recording. Is is I'm trying to find the soul mm-hmm. of our organization and and have people share in those stories. Yes, and it just it makes us, I think, a little bit more of a a family, yes. like you felt your first day. Yeah. I found another family. Yes, another adopted mom. Yes.
1: Um,
0: okay. I like to do some rapid questions, so I'm just going to ask you some quick questions. You give me the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. All right? You ready for this? Like high pressure.
1: Yes, let's do it. (laughs)
0: Okay, cool. Favorite app on your phone?
1: Uh, Spotify.
0: Movie that made you cry?
1: Coming to America.
0: Beyonce or Ariana Grande? Ariana Grande. Okay. Coffee or tea? Tea. Your favorite food? Equine. You're gonna tell me about that later. <laughs> Who's your hero?
1: My dad. The one who gave birth to me. Okay. Yes. All
0: right. So tell me your favorite food again? Equan. Equan.
1: Did I say it right? No, but you get it. You get it. <laughs> Thank you. It's like an E K P so Equang with the silent P yeah. equan.
0: Yeah. Okay. So close. My my Norwegian heritage doesn't let me uh, speak everything quite clearly. So, what kind of food is that?
1: That is a Cameroonian dish. Yes. Um, It is cocoa yams. I don't know if you guys actually have cocoa yams here that you eat. Mm -hmm. I know you have yams and potato and yeah, but cocoa yams and um, it's very involved how you cook it. Is it sweet
0: or savory?
1: Coco yams is more savory, but they're like yams. Have you had yams?
0: Yes, of course. So
1: if you just cook them like that, they're really dry. Mm -hmm. But when you take that the cocoa yams and then they actually grate them, so they become a paste. And then you put all these ingredients in them, and then you wrap them up in cocoa yam leaves. And then you cook it. And then you add a few things as it's cooking. It's cooked with a lot of love and attention and just, yes. So
0: you can can taste the love and the yam. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) it <laughs> <laughs> sounds delicious
1: mm, I miss it yes
0: you have such a storied background
1: yes
0: and while you are still your father's daughter there's so much about Belle that is unique and different and you've seen some things here in our country oh yes and things in your home country that mm-hmm. have shaped you um my question this is one of you know maybe a hard question it's okay um What, what are we doing right as Americans when it comes to dealing with people that are different from, you know, how one group deals with another? What are we doing right and what are we doing wrong?
1: Hmm. Let's start with what we're doing right. I think that we are having a conversation about it. We are being, um, we're listening, you know, even if people don't want to, they're listening. We are very, you know, it feels forced sometimes, but I think that you never know something until you've heard about it. So the good thing America is doing is acknowledging that and listening, because, you know, I grew up in Cameroon, and some people, when they think of countries in Africa, you just think it's all black people who are equally, you know, you're... So let me throw a race into it as an example of this, you know, mm-hmm. difference. But in Cameroon, we have, um, like, white Cameroonians. There's black Cameroonians, obviously. The white is, like, this many, so they don't count. But, like, we have albinos, and then you have the pygmies, and you have, you know, so it's a whole different level of race that could go on there mm-hmm. or class. or And growing up there, I never remember actually having that conversation to the effect of, You know how are you treating this person, and how can you treat them better? Mm -hmm. The United States we're doing better in that we're having that conversation.
0: Sometimes it's a hard conversation. Yes. And you mentioned listening. Yes. I think we're getting better at listening, but we're not there yet.
1: Not there. Do you agree? I do agree. I think that you know there's people who are so I listen to uh, Timothy Keller a lot. I don't know if you've ever heard about him, but you know he's a it's religious, but he's very just uh, philosophical. You could people who don't believe in God can listen to him and learn something. Mm -hmm. He talks about how, like, there's this, you know, you're smart, but then you're intelligent. I think that you could tell the difference, sometimes coming into a person's presence, you could tell the difference between someone who's just smart or someone who's intelligent. You could tell the difference between someone who knows how to listen, knows Mm -hmm. how to understand. And sometimes when you continue to, you know, beat up on someone who hasn't come to, I mean growth, right? I there's things that you can tell me now that I'll understand. That five years ago, if you told me about that stuff, I probably have taken an emotional stance on, and I would be so angry that you even dared have that conversation. But as you grow and as you mature, hopefully, you know, and you listen to, for instance, religion as it's given to you, you you start to take it differently. Hopefully, whatever your journey is. It's growing you. It's not just taunting you, because you could be so strong at something so stupid mm-hmm. that when you lay dying, you know, as they say, you you would the one thing you would think, which is the biggest part of your life, you'd be like, I wish I wasn't so stupid.
0: Yeah, so <laughs> strong at something yeah. so stupid. That's one of those things I'm just gonna write down and, try and remember, <laughs> Belle. Um
1: And what have we not done well? Yes, I would say we have. Um, we have gotten so good then, the listening part, right, the good and the bad. Yeah. We've gotten so good then in, at assuming that you can, like when people come up, like what just happened with us, you know, having to get mobilized with what was happening in the city.
0: Our domestic response after George Floyd.
1: Yes. Yes. And then you, you show up and people, you assume that because this is what I feel is right. This has to be what is right. You know, and then people get really apologetic very fast. And so you show up and, you know, instead of people listening, instead of just, you know, being that when that's happening, you know, in my unit, I'm probably the one black person that showed up there that, so it's already very awkward. And we're, you know, not that everyone's trying hard for it to not be awkward, which is I wish we wouldn't have to try. Uh You know, but there's just that awkwardness where in your mind you're like, Man, you know, like in one of my podcasts, I don't know if you heard that one where I talked about how then you, you feel like you're you're the voice of the blacks now. But you are you're representing that and you own it, you know, hopefully you're doing the right thing at it. But then there's that the conversations that are happening around you that are shaping you in that moment. There's people who are you camp out, you know, you, you see these camps. And so people, for instance, assume that, you know, if you're black, you obviously you, you, you align yourself with the site. And so I'm going to come to you and I'm going to have those conversations that support that. And so then I'm saying what you want to hear. And so then I can't be wrong. But then it's like with when it's someone like me who is, I want to see your soul, right? I want to see, don't repeat to me what we heard on the news yesterday or this morning. You know, I really want to know how, like you're wanting to know how I'm feeling because I seem like, you know, sort of, a, a, I don't know, a, sore topic right now. I'm wanting to know how you're feeling. And yeah. so I feel like those conversations, sometimes we come into them and we already, you know, like it's almost like we want to please the other person in what we say and so we're not developing our own thoughts. So a lot of people have half-baked ideas of what's happening or what's supposed to be happening because they mm-hmm. won't explore what it is. Why do you believe what you believe?
0: Are we bad at being uncomfortable with one another in Horrible at it. Yeah.
1: Yes. Horrible at it. It's... You know, silence, sometimes for me, we're in the middle of a great conversation. I meet some people who are just very quiet, yeah. and they get really quiet in the middle of a conversation. You know how it feels like then, the silence, they say it, it's, it's a deadening silence, like it's too loud. The silence is too loud. I've had a producer say that to me in yeah. the intercom, and I'm like, how can silence be loud? can be. We get really bad at it. We get really anxious about we wanna quickly fix it. You know, it's Minnesota. We wanna be nice and but then you're not nice and good at two different things. You yes. can be nice and then you could turn around and dig a hole for me to fall into as soon as I get out, you know. No one does that in Minnesota, sorry guys. <laughs> but you know, like you're because you already you already have your own things that you're angry about and why can't we all open up? Like right now, somebody's vulnerable because they've opened up and they're telling you how they're feeling about this. And if you take yours and you stuff it and you pretend that you Do you see how bad that can be? Do you see how much of a a villain that can make out of you when? Because what I believe that your core values are going to come out.
0: Yeah.
1: And when you stuff them and stuff them, when they do come out, at some point you're already so angry because you feel like nobody's acknowledging you, nobody's listening to you, nobody's. But it's just because you weren't supporting your own course. You felt like now the political climate says I have to be this person. And so I have to be this person right now. And you can't get past the politics of it to see that there's more than politics happening here.
0: So I'm trying to get a better understanding of what you think we're not doing right. And if I'm hearing you, and if I'm seeing your soul a little bit better, <laughs> yes, uh, which you're helping me in, are we just really bad at being okay with being uncomfortable with one another and working hard to see another person's soul.
1: Yes, and I think that the political climate too, there's, you know, that's one. And two, the political climate too has made it, uh, um, I don't want to say the political climate has made it because we are the political climate. So it's come to the point where it's hard for us to, to support what we stand for. If you stand for something, you've got to be honest about it. And then you've got, because then you're working through it too and you're exploring what it is that you are standing for. Mm -hmm. And if it's wrong, the only way you find out is to be in it. If you can say, for instance, I support this violent activity that's going on. Because you're not doing the violence, and then I can sit, you know, like, back here. You know that it's violent, you know that it's bad, but you know that you support it because there's something in your core values that agrees with that. So instead of having an open conversation about that, where your dad could be like, hey, 17-year-old stupid, don't take my gun and go out there and do something stupid, you know? You stop it. And then your your dad is like, oh, we're going out now to support this good organization that's out there doing something. Yeah, sure, dad. And then you go and do it and you never have that conversation. Yeah. And then you come back and you go ahead to just do what you were going to do in the first place. But if you told your dad that, hey, I support this. I really think that, you know, this organization is good. Even though they look violent, I think they're good. And your dad is okay with taking a seat next to you and going, unpack that for me.
0: So, so using the lens of your wise parents sometimes allows us to make a little bit better decisions is yes. that what you're
1: saying not just the the parents are not always wise that, please that's kids true. <laughs> don't come for me uh-huh. but I'm just saying that being like you said being okay with having those uncomfortable conversations okay enough for your kids to see that for and your kids are you know right now here you're so powerful and I'm so. Not. I wouldn't say you that. Know, okay. <laughs> you know, but it, it's being able to, if I came here and something was going on and you were on one side and I was on the other, you know, I should know that if I'm having, if I open up to you and I'm like, oh, I really think that, you know, even though this person is causing havoc over here, I think that they're right that you would, you know, if you didn't agree even, you would be like, well, this is what I stand for. And then but we can have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, this is what I believe. Oh, okay. I mean politically now you're right anyways. Whatever you say is right politically now. So I'm just gonna say that's okay.
0: The relationship allows us to be kind with one another when we have disagreements. Yes. And yes. Maybe that's I I feel like that's something we as as people that wearing the same uniform mm-hmm. can do okay at. Because we have that place where we can go back, where we have the family yes. of, of the Air Force, the family of the military. And yes. even though if, if we have disagreements within our family, we can usually work our way through those things.
1: Yes. And yes, hopefully really that carries
0: us through to a brighter future.
1: Fingers hopefully. Fingers crossed. Yes. <laughs>
0: Next time on Beneath the Wing, we'll have another guest join me sitting in the chair here in the office, and we'll try and gain a little bit more perspective on what's making our wing a great place to be. Again, thanks to Bell for joining me, and we'll see you next time on Beneath the Wing.